This is the sermon podcast for Bering Memorial United Methodist Church, a reconciling congregation located deep in the heart of Houston, Texas. For more information, please go to bearingumc.org. So my goal for this morning is for us to leave here knowing deeply who we are and in what authority we can claim our place and how we cultivate that authority in a way that we are able to live powerfully in the world so that we stand for all people, so that we stand for the end of all that binds people, including things within our own religious system that bind people, and so that we are freed and empowered to act as agents of healing in the world for all people, even those who oppose us. Our scripture text for today, both in Deuteronomy and the Old Testament and in our New Testament passages, talk about authority. Who has the authority to speak for God What does it look like when someone speaks in the authority of God? And how do you cultivate living and speaking and acting out of that authority? Now, for those of you who like it when I make you cry, that's probably not going to happen today. (laughs) We have a lot of material to cover, and it's mostly instructional, but it's really important. And so I think if you get it and go home and sit with it, it'll bring you to tears, but maybe maybe not this morning. So let's pray and ask God to show up and help us sort through this amazing story of what God does, but that has a lot of complicated pieces. Let's pray. God, we come listening for a word from you. We come to hear you speak to us so that we might own our own authority as your children called by your name, the very dwelling place of God, that your spirit lives in us and authorizes us to speak and stand and act in the world as your voice, as your witness, as your living presence. Help us see that today. Help us claim it today. And then help us live deeply in to who we are, so that all the world is set free in your love. Take the words of my mouth and the listening of all of us. May we hear from you. Amen. So we have two texts that seem to not go together, but they both speak about who has the authority to speak for God. The first one is the story of Moses, who was the first prophet of Israel and known as the greatest prophet until the time of Jesus. Now, it's important to know that before Moses, God spoke directly to people. They didn't need a word through a prophet. And we'll look at a minute about about why that happens, but go back and start in Genesis. When God creates the earth creature, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I need to say it anyway. When God creates the earth creature, that earth creature is not a man. That earth creature is non-gendered, contains within that creature male and female, and I think you could say was non-binary. There's no gender here, okay? And God speaks to 
Adam, the earth creature, directly. And they're in communication. And then Adam looks at all the animals and says, I need somebody that looks like me, that's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so God creates the man and the woman. And for the first time, you have gender. But they all contain within them the whole. And God continues to speak directly to Adam and Eve, even when they're thrown out of the garden because of the fall. And, and God speaks to Cain, even after Cain kills Abel and puts a mark of protection on Cain and assures him that his life will be protected. And God continues, he speaks with Enoch who walks with God and then is so close to God that he's taken and is not. And he just goes into the presence of God. And God talks to Noah and Noah's sons. And God talks to Abram and Sarah and Hagar. And Jacob wrestles with the presence of God and says, I've wrestled with God, I've seen God, and I didn't die. And so you have this whole history of direct communication with God. Even when they are in Egypt, Aaron and Miriam and Moses speak directly with God. There's not this intermediary. So Moses and Aaron and Miriam deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. They wander in the wilderness and they come to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, where the whole leadership of Israel is invited up onto the mountain. And then Moses goes a little higher, but they see God. They describe what they see. There's this intimate relationship with God and God's people. But Moses... comes down from the mountain and his skin is shining and the people are terrified and they back off and they say, wait a minute, this is too much. We don't want this. This is a little too scary for us. We don't want that kind of intimacy. So Moses, put a veil over your face, right? So just, we, want, we, want, we don't want to talk to God directly anymore. We're going to put God in a box. We're going to locate God in a person that we can control, that we can contain so that we don't have to deal with that kind of intimacy. And so God accommodates that, and Moses becomes the spokesperson for God. Moses becomes the first prophet who speaks for God. And so Moses leads the people through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're on the verge of coming now into the promised land, Moses has gone up on Mount Pisgah and seen the land, and it is beautiful. And God says, Moses, you're not leading the people in. Joshua's going to lead them in. You've done your job. They're going in without you. And Moses is very concerned. I've been the spokesperson. How are they going to know who speaks for you? And so in this passage we have here, Moses is talking to the people. He's transitioning the leadership, and he tells them that God has promised that God will raise up a prophet like me, like Moses, who will speak for God to you and who will intercede to God for you in the way that I have. Now Moses is concerned that they might not know whether this person is telling the truth. How do we know if it's true? And so God says you'll know by two criteria. What the prophet says will manifest, will happen, will be realized, it will come to pass. And if not, the prophet dies. It's God's judgment. So then we have this whole line of prophets that we see through the Old Testament. We have false prophets, and they die. And we have prophets who speak for God. Now, just because they speak for God doesn't mean that the religious community or the culture 
agrees with them. Oftentimes they're opposed, but they speak with the authority of God. And then you get to the end of the Old Testament period, and for 400 years, the prophets go silent. And then Jesus appears on the scene. Now, what we know in retrospect is from Peter's speech in Acts 3. After Pentecost, Peter and John have gone up to the temple, and there's a lame man, and they have healed the lame man in the name of Jesus. And the question that is posed to them is, by what authority do you heal this man? They say, not ours, but by the authority of Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord, who is the prophet like Moses. So Peter identifies Jesus as this promised prophet of all prophets, even Jesus. Okay, now we come to the passage in Mark. Now here's what's important about Mark's gospel. It's the first one. It's the earliest one. Mark begins his gospel by saying, and he's the only one who does this, this is the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the original text, Mark's gospel after the resurrection is left unfinished. Now that's important. Hold on to that thought because it's important for us. Okay, now also in Mark's gospel, the question is who has the authority to act and speak for God? And so throughout Mark's gospel, you see him in a battle with the devil, with the forces of evil, and the forces of evil are defined as that which binds people and limits their access to God. That's what the force of evil looks like in the gospel of Mark. So immediately after Jesus is baptized in Mark, the first thing that happens is that the Spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus is there for 40 days and 40 nights and does battle with the devil, with the forces of evil, with those things that bind people. And the question is, what authority is going to define Jesus' life and witness the authority that binds people, the authority of the devil, or the authority of God. And we know from Mark, Jesus wins that battle. Now, unlike in John's gospel, where the first miracle is at a wedding, in Mark's gospel, because the question is who has the authority to act and speak for God, the first thing Jesus does when he comes out of the wilderness is he calls the disciples to repent, believe the good news, and follow me, and then he sets about showing what that means and what authority he has to demonstrate that, to interpret that, to speak for God. So guess where the first place he goes is? The synagogue. The first place he's got to establish his authority and set people free is in the religious institution that is binding people and limiting their access to God. And so he is pitted in this passage with, it's not in this translation, but it, with the scribes. The scribes were not the minute takers for the meeting, the official record keepers, that's what we call a scribe. The scribes were actually the doctors of the law. They're the ones with the PhD in religious studies, in Christianity. You can quote Bart and all the 
all the scholars, and they're the ones who interpret the tradition and say who's in and who's out and what constitutes authority and what doesn't. And Jesus walks into the synagogue and teaches. And the response of the people, we don't even know what he says, because that's not the point of this passage. The response of the people is he speaks with such authority, unlike the authority of the scribes. Okay, so here you have a statement that even though, you know, she's got a Harvard Law degree, she's got a Perkins School of Theology degree, she's got a Princeton Theology degree, all those kind of things, what the learning of the day has to say is not the last word. This one speaks with an authority beyond that interprets the tradition differently. And we know that's true because the next thing Jesus does is there is a man in the synagogue who is possessed by an unclean spirit, which here doesn't mean the way, you know, people are called unclean here. It means it's one that binds him, that is of the devil, that keeps him from being free. And Jesus, the the demons recognize him. They know he is and they know Jesus is authority, and Jesus commands the demon to come out of the man and releases him. And the response of the crowd is not so much about the release of the man. It's about the authority and the power in Jesus that caused him to be able to do that. And their response is, is this a new teaching? Okay, and the word they're new is not like recent. It's like This is unprecedented. This is something we haven't heard before. This is something that expands their tradition in a way that we have never received it before. This one speaks with an authority we have never before encountered. Okay, now here's another piece that we need to add to this picture. Along with truncating God being able to speak to us directly into just speaking through prophets. The other thing that happens in the history of Israel is that God's dwelling place is among the people. But again, the people aren't too comfortable with that. We want to put God in a box. Because we got God in a box or a tent or a temple, we can contain God. We can define God. We can decide what the rules are. We can keep God from coming out in places we don't want God to come out, right? And so you have this whole temple system. And when David insists on building a temple for God, God says, no, I don't dwell in buildings made of stones. I dwell in human beings. But David persists and God accommodates. And so the temple becomes the dwelling place of God. And then you've got this whole system that decides who has access to that presence. We can control that. Now, get this. When Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed by the Babylonian army, Ezekiel, a prophet, has a vision and he sees the presence of God leave the temple. It's gone. And so the the community in exile and even that's left in Israel grieves because God's presence is gone. There's no way to have this communication. Even when they rebuild the temple after the exile, there's no indication, no testimony, no witness that the presence of God returns to the temple. So you have this hollow system. 
that's got a bunch of rules. We're trying to figure out what it means to be holy so that we can get God to do what we got, want God to do and come back. Okay, the reason in Mark that the scribes get so bent out of shape is that Jesus comes into the temple as the dwelling place of God and says, this isn't the dwelling place of God. I am. I'm the dwelling place of God. I'm the temple of God, and therefore I speak with the authority of God, and I'm the one who can loose and bind, and I'm the one who says who has access and who doesn't, and that makes them really mad, and they kill him. Okay, now here's the trick, and this, for those of you who love literature, and you know, when things just kind of work in this amazing puzzle, this, the brilliance of this is just amazing to me. Because here's the deal, remember what the rule was, if you were a true prophet of God, what you said came true, and you didn't die. All right, now watch what God does, because he's going to take over the whole system, turn it upside down, and reinterpret the tradition to expand it. So Jesus comes along, and in Mark chapter 9, he says, you're going to kill me. And I'm telling you that, and it's going to come true. And then three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to overcome death. And he talks about the destruction later, Mark, about the destruction of the temple. They think he's talking about stones and bricks and all. He's talking about himself. He has claimed the identity as the temple of God. So he's the prophet who tells the truth, but the truth he tells is about his own death. And then he overcomes that death when God raises him from the dead and gets rid of that whole thing and says, here is the dwelling place of God. I have overcome even death and all of those rules. And I am the authority. Now, why does that matter? Okay, great. That's real interesting, Diane. (laughs) So what? So here's the so what. Remember when I told you when God first creates Adam, the earth creature, The word that's used when Adam comes to life is God, and if Jack was up here, I'd do this, but I won't make him come up here. God literally gets in Adam's face and kisses him and breathes God's very life into Adam, the earth creature, and Adam becomes a living being. The spirit of God dwells in this human creature, and that's what makes him human. We talked about that last week. Now get this, in John's gospel, there's this scene that we don't look at because we focus on Pentecost. The disciples have gathered after the resurrection. They're terrified. They can't figure this out. And Jesus appears among them and is talking to them. And if you look at the art about this scene, what you see is Jesus kind of standing up here like this. You guys are all gathered around him. And he goes, receive the Holy Spirit. That's not what the word means. The word that that is used is the same word that is used when God breathes life into Adam. Jesus literally goes up to the disciples and does mouth-to-mouth resuscitation so intimately with them that God breathes God's very spirit into them and says, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in you. And that's confirmed by even Paul In 1 Corinthians, when he says, don't you know? You are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. So so what? That means we have the same authority, the same power that Jesus had to stand in the world 
for the full inclusion of everyone to stand in the world in a way that looses people, that sets people at liberty, that undoes that which binds, even when it's in the religious system. That ought to just floor us. I'm not defined by my Harvard Law degree or by the fact that when I got out of high school, they said I wasn't college material. I'm not defined by the person who raped and beat me. I'm not defined by the fact that I'm in my third marriage and I failed at the first two. I'm not defined by the fact that I'm female and I'm straight. Those are experiences. Those are credentials. Those are the ways that I happen to manifest in the world and that shape the way I express God in the world. That's not who I am. Who I am is the dwelling place of God and I stand in that authority. And that's the authority that enables me and you and us to stand up and say, this is who God is in the world. This is what it means to be a community of those who follow God. What Jesus does is he says, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to create a new covenant by water and the Spirit. I'm going to give you a new commandment that you love one another. And it's no longer the temple rules that decide whether or not you have authority. It's me. And when your life is immersed in who Jesus is and how Jesus spoke and what Jesus said and did in the world, then you have that same authority. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else, including the religious system and clergy or anybody else, has to say about that. Because Jesus is the defining temple of God. And Jesus has put God's life and spirit and breath in us. If we get that, if we ever really get that, we become unstoppable. We become a force for healing. We become a force for reconciliation that's so wide that even those who would exclude us can find a place at this table. Lent's coming, and I'm going to encourage you to live deep in that. We're going to give you some tools about how to live deep into who we are and this authority that we have so that we can stand, because these are troubled times. And God needs us to stand, not in who we've been told we are, not in who we've told ourselves we are, but in who God says we are, and in the authority of Jesus the Christ, who is the prophet like Moses, the prophet of all prophets, who has returned the dwelling place of God to us. We are the temple of the living God. And we act and live and breathe in the authority of that God who says, whosoever will may come. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.